If you have a copy of God's Word, I'd encourage you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to be reading uh, from verses 1 to 6 and then verses uh, 13 to 18. We are actually in the home stretch of the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, We've been spending uh, quite a bit of time in here both last fall and uh, this uh, winter. Um, The last three chapters of 2 Corinthians, um, what they really do is return to an earlier issue that is addressed in the book. Um, But what you'll read if you get through it uh, is you'll discover that Paul's level of intensity really ratchets up a bit as you get to these last three chapters. And that just tells us that whatever the issue is that Paul's dealing with is something that he really cares deeply about. That's why he gets really so intense about dealing with this issue. Um, But what you're going to see is that in these last three chapters, which we'll cover right before we uh, get to Lent, is that Paul uses one theme, and that theme is about boasting in the Lord. And so the question that's going to keep coming up over the next couple weeks is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, what is it that you boast in? Do you find your your confidence as a person in the things of this world, or do you find your confidence in who you are in Jesus Christ? Another way to ask that question is, do you define yourself by your relationship with the world around you, or do you define yourself by your relationship with Jesus Christ? Paul's charge is really clear all throughout Uh, These last three chapters, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to start to unpack this theme that will capture us for the next couple of weeks. And we're going to start by looking at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'm going to be reading again verses 1 to 6, then skip ahead to 13 to 18. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can follow in the screens um, or uh, in your bulletin as well. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And now skipping down to verse 13. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you 
without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is God's word. Father, thank you so much for the gift of worship, Lord, and I know that my heart has already been encouraged through the things that we've sung together, Lord, through the, through the prayers, the scripture readings, Lord. All these things are, are saturated with your truth, and they speak to our hearts, Father, and we're so thankful for this great gift of worship uh, that you give us. But now, Lord, as we come to your word, we're reminded that you work powerfully through it, that uh, it isn't just an ordinary book with ordinary words written a long time ago, but it is your living word that shapes our hearts as we read it and as we meditate on it. So we pray that over the next few moments that, that the words of my mouth and the, the meditation of our hearts here this morning would be pleasing to you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So if you've been with us uh, as we've looked at 2 Corinthians uh, over the past couple months, you'll know that 2 Corinthians is a very personal letter by the Apostle Paul. There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. You're only hearing half of the conversation in some ways, but it's a very personal letter for the Apostle Paul. And it's personal because he is dealing with a lot of criticisms, a lot of people that are critiquing him, but he's having to deal with it removed from them, from a far away distance. And I think to some degree, we can probably relate to what Paul's going through here because we've all been criticized. Uh, I don't know, you can think of multiple times in your life where you've been criticized for this or criticized for that. We all know what it's like to feel criticisms and they never really feel very good. Sometimes they hurt deeper than others, but they never feel very good. Some of us are pretty sensitive to criticism. Uh, If somebody criticizes us, we just over and over and over again in our minds. Others not so sensitive. Maybe we become desensitized to criticism over the years uh, because we've heard so much about it. I was listening to uh, sports talk radio uh, this week, which I tend to do from time to time. And they were talking about some pretty uh, high-profile and well-known athletes that uh, have been on Twitter or on social media and have decided for whatever reason to get off all of these social media platforms. And the story particularly talked about Twitter as being one that's very toxic when it comes to criticisms. I never really understood that about Twitter. I've been on Twitter for a long time and and really all I, I get on Twitter for is to follow news stories and things like that. So I never quite understood that. Then somebody said, well, just look at the comment sections on Twitter posts once in a while, which I'd never done before. And so I click on the comment sections and all of a sudden you see all this sort of toxic vitriol and all these criticisms and all these, these below-the-belt nastiness that's all over Twitter. All of a sudden, oh yeah, I see what they're talking about. I see uh, why all these people are, are getting off of Twitter. And so what people, it's caused a lot of people to do is so I'm just not going to subject myself to that anymore. And so they shutter all their social media accounts. They, they shutter all the outside voices that chime into their lives. They want to avoid the criticisms. And that is one way of dealing with criticism. We just avoid it. We ignore it. We don't want to listen to it. And so as we come to our passage, we see that Paul's dealing with some criticisms. And I'm sure he probably just wanted to ignore them. 
or to avoid them. You don't get the sense that his ego is really caught up into this. So his ego isn't harmed by the critics and uh, by their criticisms. And so you wonder, does he just want to ignore it? Does he just want to avoid it? But the heart you get of Paul shines through in that he was worried about the Corinthian Christians. He was worried about their being led astray by the loud voices of his critics. And he was worried that because the critics were there in person and he was far away, that it would affect these dear Christians whom he loved. And so if you read the first part of the book, he sort of dances around some of these criticisms. But now as he gets to the end of the book, he really attacks them head on. He faces them for what they are. And he even retweets one of their criticisms in verse 1 when he says, I am humble with you face to face, but bold toward you when I am away. That was one of his criticisms, that people were criticizing him of talking tough in all of his letters, but then when he's there in person, he's a lamb, he's weak, he's ineffectual. Well, who were these critics? He had lots of them. Who were these critics? Well, what we know from the book is that after Paul had planted the church in Corinth, he left to go plant other churches. And rival leaders entered into the church at Corinth, and they began subverting Paul's authority every step of the way. These are what we've called an ancient version of prosperity preachers um, who taught that the evidence of God's presence, um, if God is in something, then it will be manifested in strength and in influence, in all sorts of wealth and in all sorts of power. And so they entered into the church, they were teaching sort of this, and they looked at Paul and they said, God couldn't be with Paul. God's presence couldn't be working in this guy. Look at how much he has suffered in his life and throughout his ministry. Look at when he's with you, how sort of gentle and weak he seems when he is with you. He isn't outwardly striking. He isn't impressive. He doesn't have that wow factor. And so how could God's presence be with someone who's like this? How could this guy, Paul, be an apostle of Jesus Christ. You see, his critics believed something. They believed that God's presence is always manifested in all sorts of things that look like charisma and strength. They believed that real leaders have that it factor. Real leaders have that wow factor. People walk away impressed. And, and that's a sign of God's presence. God's presence always is in the exceptional it's in the people who have the persuasive speaking ability. And, and leaders, therefore, who demonstrate the presence of God have to be authoritative and they have to be convincing. And so they believed all these things and then they said, well, look at Paul. He's none of those things. He's none of those things. Sure, he might talk a big game in his letters, but in person, he's nothing but a weak and ineffectual leader. I couldn't help but think of the old uh, SNL skit with Hans and Franz, which dates me a little bit, where these guys went around and say, oh, he's just a puny man. He's just weak. He's just a puny man. That's what they were saying about the Apostle Paul. These were the critics. Their criticisms were biting. They had to be hurtful at points. 
Now, I don't know how you respond to critics. We all have to do it at times. I don't know how you respond. And we don't know exactly what was going on in Paul's mind as he sorted through all these things. Maybe he wanted to step in there and blast him, blast them out of the water for their criticisms. Maybe he just wanted to ignore them and avoid them completely. But when we come to our passage this morning, we find that he does choose to answer his critics. Not because he wants to be defensive, not because he cares one iota about his own ego, but because the very heart of the gospel was at stake through these critics. He probably had no love for his critics, of course, in the most Jesus sort of way. He probably had no love for his critics, but he did have a deep love for the Corinthian Christians. And so he chooses to engage, and in his response here, we learn a few beautiful things about the nature and the power of the gospel itself. Principally, we learn this, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel often shines in unlikely ways and in unlikely places. It shines in unlikely ways and unlikely places. Look at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now, what is Paul getting at? Well, I want us to think about our own world today, which isn't all that different than the world of the Corinthian church, even though it was thousands of years ago. But I want us to think about our own world today and how we define success in our own world today. How do we define success in our world? Because it's not all that different from the way people define success in Paul's day. Just in Paul's day, in our world today, the successful person is one who's what? They're wealthy. They're esteemed by other people. The successful person is is someone who is well-respected and honored by all those people who are around them. The successful person is one who has an air about them, and that air demands respect and authority. It demands admiration. And all these things, these are all the rubrics. These are the ways that our world defines what success is all about. And then these things then become the weapons, to use Paul term, Paul's terms, these things become the weapons by which our world is changed. People believe, I have to have all of these things And then I can change the world. Now, sometimes, sometimes this can seep into the church as well, the community of followers of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it it sneaks in there as well. And I've worked for a lot of churches over the years, and I've been exposed to a lot of churches. And sometimes you hear this. A church will say, if if we could just find a, a young and handsome and influential preacher out there, Or if we could find a preacher who could make people's hearts melt while they are sitting in the pews. Or if we could just find a preacher who demands people's authority and respect and admiration and has tons of Twitter followers and has a social media presence. If we have that, just that thing, then our church will change the world for Jesus Christ. I hear it all the time. But the truth is, these are using the methods of the world that are around us. 
There's the same methods that you're going to hear in the marketing world, the same methods you're going to hear in the academic world or the, the medical world or the business world. But then you come to the scriptures and you're reminded of this, that the gospel is very different. That the gospel often shows up in the most unlikely ways and in the most unlikely places. And what we see principally here is this, that it often shows up not in strength, but it often shows up in weakness. See, that's what Paul was being criticized for. He was being criticized for his weakness and his suffering. But you know who else was criticized for their weakness and for their suffering? It was Jesus Christ himself. Remember in Mark chapter 15 when Jesus is being crucified, and there in this scene, all of his critics have gathered around the foot of the cross, and they were standing there hurling insults at Jesus Christ. It says in verse 31, so also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. What were they criticizing Jesus for? They were criticizing him for being weak and for being ineffectual. And yet, what the gospel tells us is that in his weakness comes our strength. The gospel tells us that through the willing weakness of Jesus Christ, our salvation and our redemption was accomplished. Through the weapon of weakness wielded by Jesus, the great foes of sin and death were defeated. Through his poverty, we were made spiritually rich. His own weakness accomplished our forgiveness and our adoption. So I don't know exactly what Paul was thinking. I don't know exactly what his heart was when all these criticisms of weakness came along. But I wonder if he had to think, you know what? I guess I'm being being criticized just as Jesus was. And if I'm getting criticized just like Jesus was, I actually think I'm pretty okay with that. I think I'm pretty okay with that. See, the gospel shines in weakness. But what we also see here is that it also shines not just in weakness, but also in meekness and in gentleness. I can imagine when they brought Jesus before Pilate, Uh, after his arrest and before the crucifixion. They bring Jesus before Pilate, and of course, Pilate has heard about Jesus before this moment, but now he's standing there in front of them, and he's looking at Jesus with his own eyes, and he's wondering, is this the guy? Is this the guy? Is this the guy that everybody's so upset about? He doesn't look all that much to me. How could he be the cause of such concern? Why? Because Jesus never really carried himself with a whole lot of pomp and circumstance. As we saw last week, he set all those things aside, setting aside the wealth of heaven to become poor like one of us. He set aside the wealth and the riches of heaven. He set aside the heavenly realm to become meek and gentle and live amongst us. Only once did Jesus sort of set aside that meekness and that gentleness at the transfiguration For just a quick moment, he pulled the curtain aside and all of his glory was revealed in that moment and his disciples were blown away by what they saw from Jesus. But generally, generally, he was meek and he was unassuming. 
He even describes himself in Matthew chapter 11 as one who is gentle and lowly. What we mean by that is that he loved without pretense. He took the time to listen to people, to be present fully with them. He dwelt among sinners and the outcast. He didn't just spend time with influencers or those that could make him more popular or those who could further his agenda. Instead, he walked amongst the dregs of society, the bottom level. My guess is that if you had been around and you would talk to Jesus, you would felt that you were the most important person in the world when the reality was he was the most important person. This is the way Jesus lived. This is the way that Jesus loved other people. And this is the way that Paul believed he needed to conduct himself and did indeed conduct himself among these Corinthians believers. Why? Because he believed that it's in this context or in this way that the gospel shines brightly. The gospel shines in weakness. It shines in meekness and gentleness. But finally, what we see here is that the gospel's divine power, its divine power is manifested in its simplicity. It's manifested in its simplicity. Remember what Paul said in chapter 1 when he talked about his life amongst the Corinthians? He said that he behaved in the world with simplicity and with godly sincerity. Paul's saying, I don't have a look at me demeanor. I have a look at Jesus demeanor when I am with you. Later, Paul instructs the the church at Thessalonica in a similar way. He says to them, Christians, aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs. I love that verse. Aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs. What's Paul saying? He's saying, live simple lives so that the power of the gospel can be demonstrated. Let no one question where the power of God comes from. Live so simply that it leaves no shadow of a doubt that the power for all of this comes from the gospel itself. Remember in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when Paul is, is writing to this young pastor, Timothy, and uh, uh, he warns him about teachers who were out there. And I, I have to wonder if this, these Corinthian critics were in the back of his mind when he wrote this to Timothy. He said to Timothy, For the time is coming where people would not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Some people translate that itching ears to uh, people wanting to have their ears tickled to have their ears tickled. Paul's likely talking about this issue in the Corinthian church when he's warning Timothy of this very thing. The truth is, you and I, we can fall into the same temptation as well, can't we? We sometimes fall into thinking that the simple gospel just probably isn't enough. It's good, it's wonderful, but is that really enough? After all, we've got to attract people, and if we're going to attract people, we've got to make the gospel less offensive. We have to make it more palpable to people. We have to make things more attractive. But in so doing, we wind up leading people's hearts astray. What is the simple gospel? The simple gospel is this. You are a sinner, 
I am a sinner. But Jesus has come to bring salvation. And if we place our faith in him, we get new life. Friends, this is the simple gospel and this is where the power of God is. The divine power of God works through the simplicity and the beauty of the gospel. So don't make any mistakes here. Paul heard the criticisms. He heard them. In fact, I think he probably had to agree to, certain, to a certain degree with them. You know what? They are right. I am weak. They are right. I have suffered greatly. In fact, I've suffered more than they even realize. They're right. I am meek and I am gentle. They're right. My message is simple, but all those criticisms, you know what? They could be said about Jesus, our Savior, too. So here's where the critics are wrong. They think that there's no power in weakness and in suffering. They think there's no power in just a gentle and lowly and simple life. But that's where they're wrong because that's exactly where the power of God resides. This is where the power of God shows up. So Paul says, I'm not going to use the methods of the world around us. I'm not going to boast in my own strength. I'm not going to boast in my own ego or my own stamina or my own charisma. Instead, I'm going to boast in Jesus, and I'm going to boast in Jesus alone. That's it. Paul said that because he knew that all the power comes from Jesus. And so he rooted his confidence as an apostle and as a minister in his Savior, Jesus Christ. He built his entire identity as a person around who he was in Jesus, around his relationship with the Savior. And in so doing, God used him and the simplicity of the gospel to change the world. Let me ask you this. Do you think things have changed? Do you think things have changed? See, friends, God still wants you and I, his people, to go out and to change the world for Jesus Christ. But it doesn't necessarily come through strength and charisma. It doesn't necessarily come from flash and from pomp and from circumstance. It certainly doesn't come from marketing techniques or slick social media campaigns. It comes through meekness. It comes through suffering. It comes through weakness and simplicity. But that's exactly where the power shows up. It shows up in these things so that there is no question from start to finish that all of it is about God and all of it is about his power showing up in the most unlikely ways and in the most unlikely places. Therefore, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Let's pray.